Amen. Look at verse seven with me. Again, we've been here for three or four weeks in a row. I intend to move further, but I left a few things on the table last week. You were taking notes. And I gave to you the four-fold recipe from Jesus in Luke 17 of repentance. And the four-fold recipe, if you're a note taker or you didn't get your notes filled out last week, is the first one is to rebuke. That is to walk in fellowship with people and to say, hey, your fly's down. You got something in your teeth. I see something in your life that's out of order. And I love you enough to tell you the way it is. This is a two-way road, this rebuking process. We don't use the word rebuke, but it's holding people accountable. And let me just tell you right now while you're still listening, the rebuking process will only work in your life if you're willing to receive correction. If you're quick to dodge correction or quick to minimize correction or quick to share correction. Well, it's not me that's done it, Lord. It's the woman you gave me. Remember Adam? Adam was quick to share and to shame. Saul did the same thing. He said, oh, it's the people. They're the ones. And Samuel said to him, oh, Saul, as he was rebuking him, because you're shutting this down, because you're minimizing it, it's gonna be difficult for you moving forward. And this idea of rebuking, the only way, listen to me, the only way rebuking in a relationship will actually work is if the next place and the next step is in play, which is to repent, which is to say, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. I see that too. Dang it, is it that obvious? Is it showing again? Oh, there it is again. And what I would encourage you to do who want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ is to say, hey, thanks for honoring me and telling me that my fly's down or I have something in my teeth or something more insidious, something more spiritual. Thank you for telling me that I'm prideful or that I'm aggressive or that I have these issues in my life. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's a godly sorrow that leads to righteousness. And what I would encourage us to do, when somebody calls you on something, Nod your head like King David did with Nathan. Say, yeah, oh, it is me. Oh, and by the way, is there anything else you see? Wouldn't that be fun if we responded to our spouses or to our superiors or to our coworkers and said, hey, anything else you see? This is a real vulnerable and raw moment right here. It parallels circumcision. That's the idea we're talking about. The children of Israel moving into the promised land before they took on their very first battle and giant, God says, hey, you're saved. You're out of Egypt. Woohoo! Hey, you're spirit-filled. You went through the Jordan River. Woohoo! But you still got some stuff to work through. Let me ask you a question. How many guys, don't raise your hand right away, it's a series of questions, three questions, one answer. How many guys are saved, spirit-filled, but still have some flesh you're working on? Okay, that's the question. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you're in big trouble. Because you don't even know what's going on, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm pretty good. You know, it's like, oh, whoa. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, you know. Because it's that self-deception flesh that's the worst when you don't even see it. And so what the best thing you can settle into right now is say, Lord, I definitely have flesh. I definitely have pride. I definitely have blind. I got so much going on. As a matter of fact, if you have, you have a pulse, you have a purpose, okay? But if you have a pulse, it means you're not done yet. You're still on the, the chopping block. God still has stuff to cut away in your life. Rebuking, repenting. And then the third part that we didn't get into last week quickly is you've got to forgive. You have to forgive. When some, Jesus said it in Luke 17. If somebody comes into your house and offends you and you rebuke them and they repent, what do you say? Forgive them. Then he said, if they do it again, and they repent again, you need to forgive them again. And then he said, if you did it seven times, this gets a little ridiculous if you get offended over seven times, and somebody repents seven times, and Jesus said, forgive them seven times. Now, the seventh time is not the expiration, like, oh, that's enough. On the eighth time, I get to shoot you. <laughs> that's not what he's saying. Seven is the number of completion. This is a lifestyle. It's what we do. Do you remember the disciples' response when Jesus told them this teaching? Lord, would you increase our faith? 
That was a simple response. Lord, I don't know, man. Like, I've heard, I think I heard you, but that's intense. Let me tell you about forgiveness. Why is forgiveness so important in your relationships moving forward? Because your forgiveness ultimately, listen, will be a reflection of what you believe Jesus accomplished on the cross. And if your forgiveness is small and clunky and slow and you don't give it out to people, it's a direct reflection of what you believe Jesus did on the cross in that very moment. Now, this both goes forgiveness to the people around you and to the forgiveness even of yourself. I remember one time I was counseling with a particular fella and he'd gone through some things and done some things he was ashamed of and he, kept, he couldn't really get over it for some reason. And I asked him a pointed question. I said, is your sin more powerful than Jesus' blood? And in that context, he's like, oh, of course not. And we, no, that's ridiculous. I said, well, stop acting like it is. Forgive yourself. Forgive others. Now, let me tell you something. Forgiveness and reconciliation are cousins, but they're not the same. There are certain sins, certain offenses that have certain ramifications that are different, more evil than others. We live in a very broken world, a devastated world. There's been abuse, there's been crimes, huge mistakes have been made. And so when the Lord says, hey, I want you to forgive that person, you might feel a little lump in your throat and say, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I can. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. I need to challenge you though. You must forgive, even as you've been forgiven. And let the Lord then deal with this person, this parent, this spouse, this kid. You have to relinquish them. Just like Stephen did when he was being stoned by his accusers. And his face was like the face of an angel. And he said, Lord, would you forgive them? Don't hold this offense to their account. And he was smiling, praying for them. I want to be like that when I've been offended. Can I encourage you? You must forgive. Jesus actually said, and take this up with him, and, and if you have struggles here, please, please do. Matthew 6, Jesus said, if you do not forgive, you won't be forgiven. Now, I'm not gonna teach any further on that. I'm not sure this was before the cross. This was, this was the Sermon on the Mount. Forgiveness is very important. And as we forgive others, listen, it sets you free. Unforgiveness. You've heard this before to somebody who's hurt you, lets you down. Bitterness that you're holding on. Unforgiveness is like making poison for the person who's offended you. And instead of giving it to them, you're sipping on it like an eggnog latte. Wonder why your belly hurts. Wonder why you look like you've been baptized in pickle juice, you know? It's a big deal. And right now I just pause for those who have serious wounds, a serious belly ache from bitterness, betrayal, devastation, and I want to challenge you right now to look at Jesus. The book of Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Run in your race, setting aside the flesh and the weights that easily entangle us. And then in verse four or five, the writer to the Hebrews says, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Keep looking at Jesus. And then the challenge is given. He says, you ain't bleeding yet. Christ bled by his accusers, his betrayers, his deniers. And when we are accused and when we are betrayed and when we are attacked and slandered, we look to Jesus. And when this forgiveness happens, it sets people free. But listen, it sets you free. You become more like Christ. You become more like him. I do not pretend that this is an easy reality. This is why the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. 
This is why this must happen. Let me read to you a verse or two. I told you I was going to, and I haven't yet. I apologize. It says, then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he'd raised up in their place. For they were uncircumcised because they'd not been circumcised on the way. For 40 years, reasons we're unaware of, they weren't spiritually leading their families in the wilderness. Wasn't convenient. That's a good reason to stop going to church and stop plugging in. Wasn't popular. Kind of weird amongst the locals there in the wilderness. What are you doing to your kid? It's kind of weird, you know. Wasn't convenient. They're too busy. Whatever the excuse is. Now they got around to it. They began to lead. And Jesus says, before you go into the promised land, you're already in. You're baptized. Let's deal with a little bit more flesh. And again, I want you guys to to figure this out. Find some people in your life, a spouse, a friend, and grow in the grace and knowledge. Let people look into you. Let the word of God do this, by the way. When the word of God is read by you, it's a mirror that reflects your face. And guess what your face is? Wrong. Your face is wrong. Sometimes we read the Bible like, that's offensive. Yeah, yeah, you don't even know the half of it. The Bible's supposed to be offensive. It's supposed to show you where you're coming up short, where you need to deal with some stuff. And here we see they finally get around it. Notice verse eight though, and I want to finish this idea of forgiveness. It says, so it was when they had all finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. Notice there's no specified time of the healing process. A lot of times you'll see specificity in, in, in days. They were there, you know, for eight days or something like that. It just says they, they, they stayed there till they were healed. Because in this process of forgiving and reconciliation, okay, everyone heals at a different rate. Everyone heals at a different process. But let me tell you, you must heal. If you don't heal your heart from the wounds that happen in your life, much like these guys who are about to go to war, instead you'll be infected. Instead you'll be paralyzed and impotent in these ways of producing fruit moving forward. The pictures are numerous. And so they were given some time to heal. This is good news for those of you who've been bruised, those of you who've been busted. We talked about this with repentance. Proper repentance has three C's. Confession. I agree with my adversary quickly. I agree with God's word. I agree with you. I agree. I confess. Okay? And that confession that doesn't just get swept under the rug, but then we have a season of contrition. This could be an hour, a day, or a week, or a month, depending on what's gone on in your life. This season of contrition, where there's a godly sorrow, where you're taking inventory. How did I become this way? How did I do these things? What happened? If you don't take the season of contrition in your life, you're bound to repeat the same mistakes you've made previously. You must walk, not penance. You're not paying God back. You're not disciplining yourself. Jesus bore your discipline. Jesus bore the wrath of God. But there needs to be a humility. If you don't come out, Different, moving forward, you might have to take that class again. Amen, high school students. (laughs) You're supposed to, you know, and it's contrition. And then we see in the third C, in this life of maturation, in the spirit-filled life, what do I do now? Confess your sins. Don't deny it. Walk in contrition. It's okay to be humble. It's actually superior and better. And then also change. This is where we ended the service last week. Remember that? We watched that video of that guy being changed by the chisel of God, God's chisel. And change is not overnight. At least it hasn't been for me. Ask my wife. She knows. But change must be the goal. Change must be the focus. Change must be the energy and the effort. Change must be the prayer. Lord, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me and leap in the way everlasting. And until the day you die... There's something else to work on, something else for God to do. 
I'm so grateful for the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, John is in his olden days, super old, in his 90s, even older than John Smith over here. It's incredible. <laughs> we didn't know it was possible. And in his olden days, God reveals even more to John, the revelator. John, who wrote John in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John in the book of Revelation. God has more for you, more for me at every stage of our life to grow in. Well, check this out. Verse 8 tells us there's no prescribed time. Just make sure and do it. Make sure and heal. Also, look at verse 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal literally means rolling. They'd rolled away the flesh in a real way, they had begun to then roll and get things rolling in the spirit. We're going to see three things happen simultaneously. Listen, once confession, once contrition, once change, once forgiveness, once healing took place, all of a sudden they're going to become more spiritual. Because you're only as spiritual in your thermometer as you are spiritual in your thermostat. The thermostat and the thermometer are two separate entities, aren't they? The thermostat determines what's going on. Hot, cold, on, off, okay? Husbands and wives fight over this all the time. On, off, hot, cold, the thermostat. The thermometer is neutral. The thermometer just tells us what is. It's an indicator of spiritual growth and spiritual hotness. But what you do, listen, or what you do not do, will always determine what you have in your life. It's a principle. You're never gonna accidentally wake up rich, accidentally wake up fit, accidentally wake up smart, accidentally wake up spiritual, but instead the principles are in place where God says, hey, put some time into the thermostat. Tell it what to do. And the thermometer then will indicate, man, you're full of the Holy Spirit. Man, you're walking in the things of God. Man, you're bearing fruit. And as you and I agree with these principles and say, yeah, no pain, no gain. And as we push into the things of God, we're going to see that right now. Check this out. We've studied this already. Forgive me. I want to get into some new territory. We're going to do it. It says, though, in verse 10, now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. This is the only the second time recorded that we know that they celebrated the Passover meal. The first time was on the night where they were delivered from Egypt. And they were given instruction, do this every year at this time for the rest of your life. Some people speculate that they did. Why? Because Moses told them to do it. Of course they did it, you know. Moses also told them to circumcise their kids, but they didn't get around to that. We assume this is the only recorded time that after the wilderness wanderings, they began to walk in spiritual things. The thermostat was adjusted. And when the thermostat was adjusted, we see spiritual things begin to take precedence in their lives. Have you found the same thing to be true in your life? That when you're walking around in the wilderness, that when you're not dealing with your flesh, it's just so simple. When you're not dealing with those things, you're less likely to come to the Lord's table. You're less likely to pray, less likely to intercede, less likely to serve or to volunteer or to be kind or to be spiritual. It's just the way it is. But when you're dealing with the flesh, when you're walking in accountability, when you're letting people into your life and letting the Lord search you and letting the word have its way, and somebody says, hey, let's worship. Oh, I'd love to. Oh, hey, let's take communion. Okay, can I lead? Hey, would you pray for me? Oh, yes. And there's times in your life where, oh, yeah, prayer? Oh, sh oh wow. Uh, Rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub, you know? And you forget how to pray because you're not walking in that 
closeness with the Lord, that sensitivity. We see here, Passover is reinstituted. Not just that, look at verse 11. A couple other things happen right away when they circumcise their kiddos. I said kiddos, these are the men, the warriors. They're not kiddos. Get that mindset. Which by the way, let me say it before I forget to say it. If you're about to go into Jericho and fight bad guys, Canaanites, okay? The last thing you should probably do is become very vulnerable in your man parts. It's okay to laugh. I said what I said. (laughs) That's a bad idea. They're going to be after us. We're not going to be equipped. This is a very vulnerable and, and unique situation. And yet the Lord said to do it. It's so not like our thinking. If you want to be victorious in your life, you want to fight the battles and the bad guys that are there, they're looming, okay? Don't resist vulnerability. Don't resist transparency. Don't resist being honest. Don't resist the surgery that the Lord wants to have upon your life. This is his ways. The Bible actually says in 1 Peter, if you humble yourself, I will lift you up. But if you are prideful, I will resist you. I do not want to be resisted by the Lord. I want to be lifted up. I want to be covered. I want to, in his timing, be exalted. That just means to be cared for in that way. Well, the second thing we see here is in verse 11. It says, and they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is a big deal. 40 years, they've been eating manna cakes, manna bagels, manna cotti. Manna, everything. Everything's manna, manna, manna. It was a miracle, by the way. A miracle of provision in the wilderness. They needed it because they were spiritually stunted and small, which I don't have time to unpack that principle. But there is some application here to the miraculous. Did you know there's more miracles experienced in the wilderness wanderings than in any other generation of the children of Israel? And as soon as they went into the promised land, the miracles slowed way down. God said, hey, those, those are for weaker people. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, the, the great provision. What I want to do now, now that you're spirit filled, I want you to go ahead and just eat of the grain I've already given you. Go ahead and work for it. Let me say it this way. Don't be a lazy Christian. Well, if the Lord wants my marriage healed, then who's going to heal my marriage? I'm just going to go take a nap. If the Lord wants my neighbor saved, he better save him. Lord, you save my neighbor, I'm going to take a nap. And all these things we do, we, we wait, and the Lord says, no, 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 I, I gave you all the principles and provisions to do these things. I'm not going to provide for you in this way anymore. You have my spirit. You're consecrated. Step in. And God doesn't have any way of honoring what I would call lazy Christians. Additionally, this would be a change for them. So big. Can you imagine? Now, let me just pause right there. They must have been accustomed to the manna cakes. This must have been so good. All of a sudden, like, now what do we do? And the Lord says, it's all right here. Provided in a different way. Can I just speak to you right now? The Lord will at times in your life change up. We hate change. He will change up the way he provides for you, but he will still provide for you. Oh, man. No amens at all. (laughs) He's going to provide for you, but it's not going to be the same way he has been. Because if you're anything like me, you're a control freak and you don't want anything to change. Just keep it this way. I like it this way. I like my coffee this way. I like my manna cakes this way. I like my church this way. I like my leadership this way. I like my government this way. And the Lord says, hey, guess what? Principle number one, I'm going to provide for you. Oh, cool. You mean the same way? No. (laughs) 
Why not? Because the Lord wants to change you and grow character in you. I don't know what season you're going through right now, but I can imagine there's some change involved. Know this, he will still provide for you every step of the way. But Lord, I'm coming up on retirement. I don't think I did it right. He'll provide for you. Lord, I'm coming up on a new season in my life and the, my employer's asking more from me and there's, there's problems that at work and it's difficult. He will provide for you. Lord, there's difficulties. My kids are getting older. They're making decisions and they're not very good decisions. Lord, what am I gonna do? He's gonna provide for you. 15 days ago, Bill Gifford, William Gifford died, went to heaven. And last week I went to, two days after he died, to Lincoln City to be with his spouse, his widow, Donna. Donna was here yesterday at his memorial. And when I went to be with Donna, Donna told me, hey Luke, he was 21 and I was 16 when we got married. Times were different back then. And we were married for 56 years. And I do not know what I'm going to do. I do not know what I'm going to do. And with great sensitivity, I was able to look into her eyes and say, you're a strong woman, Donna. You really are, I see it. She didn't see it in the moment, I saw it. And I said, God is going to provide for you. He's going to. And she began to cry and say, is he? Are you sure? I was like, yeah, I know, I know, yes. In sensitivity. And it's a new season for Donna as an example. And God is going to provide for her. And when you go through a new season, loss, difference, new changes, okay? God's gonna grow your character deeper. His character does not change, amen? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when you go through deep waters or rising fires or difficult times, I'm so glad gas prices are coming down. Why are we celebrating 385? That's horrible. That's 385. It's like, what? What? You know, we're all messed up. Guess what? God will provide for you. He will do it in a new way. And he does it for his glory and for our good. Well, these three things happen. They begin to now walk in the spirit and they see the flowing of the Lord. They see the provision of the Lord. They see the change of the Lord. And looming on the hill, look at verse 13. It says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand and Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Notice the timing here. He's walking now towards Jericho. Jericho's not a good place. Jericho is the enemy. Jericho is what's standing in front of him moving forward into the promised land. And as soon as he sees Jericho, the Bible tells you and tells me, what does he do? He lifts his eyes upwards and sees this person. Those of you who are Bible students, you know who this is. I'll clue you in right now. This is, check it out, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, her name's Mary. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, crucified in Jerusalem. He was born. But before he was born, he always existed. He's always been. And Jesus appears now in what we call a Christophany. That is an Old Testament appearance of Christ, which happens three or four or five, maybe six times in the Old Testament. More common, more likely, more times than that. And Jesus shows up to Joshua as they're walking into the spirit-filled life and they're about to take on this enemy. And listen, he looks up at the enemy and he sees Jesus standing there. Here's the first principle I want to extract here. In facing Jericho, this towering city, it wasn't a big city. As a matter of fact, you could fit all of Jericho up on the land we just bought. It was a small, impenetrable, small foe that they had to walk through in order to take the rest of the land 
of Canaan. It was their first battle. And as they looked at this battle scene, it loomed down upon them. But notice Joshua lifts his eyes up. Here's my simple question. When you're facing the next giant, it's gonna be later today. Okay, it's gonna be traffic getting out of here. Something's gonna impose upon you. Here's my simple question. Where do you look? Do you look down? Do you look around? Oh, I need a distraction. Or do you look up? I'll confess to you right now that when battles and enemies come to me in my daily grind, I usually look around. I'm not a Debbie Downer. I don't look down and start kicking stuff and getting all depressed. Some people do. I usually look around for a distraction, something to take my mind off the battle, something to help me just kind of, I just need a little downtime just right now. It's too much. Did you know that we love distractions? We are the most distracted, amused society ever. It used to be that to be amused, to muse means to focus, to be intent. To be amused means to not be focused and not be attent. The, to be amused used to be reserved for kings and for rich people. They would have jesters and entertainers. Everyone else had to live in the dark and eat dirt. Remember that back in the day, you know? Now we can all be entertained freely and we can all be our own kings and listen, I want to encourage you. Let's decide that when we're troubled, let's look up. Let's look up. Let's not look down and be Debbie Downers. Let's look up to our Lord. If you look up in the next time you're challenged, hey, let's pray. I'm trusting you, Lord. Oh, man, this, there's Jericho. I better look up. I want to do this. I don't know about you. I really want to do this. I have so many decisions I make every single day. Oh man, I gotta write that email. I better check the weather first. It might have changed in the last one minute. I better check my bank account again. I checked it earlier. I better, you know, I better check this. I better get on Facebook and scroll. I better do these things instead of just dealing with the foes that are right in front of you. Let's look up to the Lord. Well, he does this and this commander shows up. And then Joshua, by the way, I just wanna extract this. I'm so impressed with Joshua right now. Man, this guy's next level. He looks up, he sees this guy. Did it describe him yet? A man opposite him, his sword drawn in his hand. Okay, in those days, if you had your sword in your hand, it would be like you having a pistol with your finger on the trigger. You guys ever had somebody pull a gun out with their finger on the trigger? I have a couple different times in my life. You usually don't ask them if they have a problem. <laughs> I mean, I have, you're going the other way, man. Trust me, I've been there. You're running. Joshua sees this guy with his sword. And Joshua says, hey, for us? Well, for the adversaries, I'm pretty impressed with Josh right now, man. This guy's crazy. Check this out. Joshua was not circumcised in this last circumcision. He'd been circumcised previously, but he still needed to, like his buddies before they go into war, listen, he needed to be humbled. He needed to be as grateful as I am for Joshua. He needed to be humbled and as, more, as, as, as impressed as I am with Joshua. Joshua needed to be impressed with a superior Joshua. Jesus. You know, the Hebrew word for Joshua is the Greek word for Jesus. It's the same word. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, Josh, what you doing? And Joshua says, what you doing? Are you for us or against? Now, look at the answer. This is so crazy. This is Jesus talking. Here's the answer. Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he, capital H in my Bible, said, no. <laughs> There's more to the answer, but he said, no. That's not the, that's, that's the wrong answer to the question. Are you for us or for them? No. I don't know if, yeah. Did I ask the wrong question? Yeah, you actually did. 
He did ask the wrong question. See, the question isn't, is God for you or for your problem or for your spouse or for this enemy or for this issue? The real question is gonna be put back on Joshua and the real question is this, Joshua, are you for me? Not are you for me, God. Here's the question that matters more than is God for you. You're wondering this right now in your marriage, wondering this in your finances, in your life. is God even for me? And the Lord would look at you and say, what did you say? Did you really ask that? Yeah, I asked that. Okay. Take your shoes off. Humble yourself. Because as impressed as I am with Joshua right now, you and I need to be more impressed with Jesus Christ than ever before and in every battle you're facing right now. And if you are under impressed with Jesus Christ right now, you're fighting the wrong battles. You're fighting the wrong battles. God loves Joshua so much. He's called him, he's anointed him, he's chosen him. Isn't this awesome? Couldn't Joshua just walk up to Jericho, knock on the door and say, I huff and I puff and I blow your house down. You know, couldn't he do that? But instead, God has to have surgery on Joshua first. The circumcision didn't need to happen. He'd already been circumcised, but he needed to be humbled. And you who are spirit-filled, saved, dealing with your flesh, oh, may the Lord humble us. I pray in Jesus' name right now. Would you do this for me? Would you take your Jericho? Would you take your Jericho right now? Whatever it is, maybe it's somebody. Maybe it's a thing. It's just, oh, this thing, it's in the way. And then would you, would you realize that it's not you and Jesus against this thing? Jesus is gonna take care of the thing. What Jesus really wants is he wants your heart. That's all that matters in your marriage. That's all that matters in your mission. That's all that matters in your ministry. And if your heart is not reserved wholly and softly to Jesus, then all the Jerichos you're worried about right now, they will taunt you and they will haunt you. Let Jesus fight those battles. But let your heart be more impressed with Jesus than anything else. I'm not sure if your eyes are closed. If they are, open them up. I don't know why I closed my eyes. Maybe Did I tell you to close your eyes? My pastor, Mark Anderson, when he was reinstated in the ministry, he met with John Corson, and he said, hey, John, before I get back into the ministry, I fell off last time. Hurt a bunch of people, myself included. I'm all better now, praise God. What's gonna prevent me from making tragic mistakes in the future? What's gonna prevent me from going into the ditch again? How can I make sure that I finish well? And John, with his classic smile, said, it's your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If that goes away, everything will follow. If that is there, nothing will take you down. It's that simple. You don't need a book. You don't need counseling. You don't need training. You need Jesus. And you need to humble yourself in order to get there. We see this happening. God loves Joshua so much, he's not just gonna give him the victory before he takes him down a notch. Are you for us or for adversaries? Let's read verse 14 in totality. And he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. What a scene. Reminiscent of Moses, when Moses saw the burning bush, when Moses was being called into a great battle, an impossible battle. Can't get the children of Israel out of Egypt. And even Moses knew it. Moses argued and said, how am I gonna do that? And the Lord says, what do you guys? He's like, well, I got this stick. 
Remember the burning bush? And, and God's like, okay, well, bring your stick if it makes you feel better. And we're going to use your stick for the next couple of decades. Okay, well, you'll be, a stick, you'll be a stick man. And you can take it. It was a rod. And that rod then surrendered to God became the rod of God. And God used Moses. But he had to take his shoes off first. So too, now Jesus is speaking with Joshua, saying, hey, Joshua, I love you, buddy. I'm so impressed with you. I'm so grateful for you. Did you know that the Lord is grateful for you? He's impressed with you. He loves you. The Bible says angels are learning from you. They're peering into your faith like, no way. 2023, is it 23 or 22? <laughs> those, those people have faith or they love you. And God is impressed with you and he loves you, but he's not done with you. And he's impressed and loves Joshua. But he says, Joshua, I want to take you deeper. And Joshua, man, oh man, please, Joshua, listen. The last thing we need is for you to be under-impressed with me. You got to be impressed with me. Why? Because Jericho's no joke. And the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Parasites and the flashlights and all these things, they're going to get you unless you are focused on the Lord. Take your shoes off. I'm leading. If you're a leader right now, and you all are, you're leading somebody. There's somebody dumber than you. It's leadership, isn't it? Just find somebody dumber than you and be, be nice to them. If you guys all start being nice to me, I'm going to see right through it. <laughs> I'm going to see right through it. If you're in leadership right now, the number one thing for you of importance is your humility before the Lord. Your sole issue. Take your shoes off. What? How many of you guys are proud of your feet? Anybody proud of your feet? You guys got good feet? Okay. Nobody raised your hand except one person. Thank you. Thank you, Roxanne. Everyone's all saying, that's weird, you know, but I'm super proud, you know. I don't like my feet. You're never going to see my feet. Like maybe like on August 3rd, maybe one day you'll have some flip-flops on, but you know, I don't still like my feet. But, but, but feet are unanimous to kind of that kind of grossness. As a matter of fact, if I use the term stinky feet, you all know what that smells like. Nobody has like unique stinky feet. Y'all got stinky feet. And Jesus here says, hey, Joshua, let me deal with this issue. Let me deal with the stuff that you don't want to me maybe be dealt with. Let me get on that level and get in there and humble you. Why would you do this, Lord? Because I want to fight for you. And because when you get victory, when I give you the success in your marriage or your ministry or your mission, I want you the first and foremost to bow before me. Here's the problem though, we're prideful. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, hey Peter, can I wash your feet? <laughs> no, kidding me? I am Peter, remember? Remember you changed my name, that was you who did that. Ha ha ha. I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Ha ha ha. And Jesus would say, Peter, you're gonna wreck the first time you drive, bro. And he took Peter's feet off, shoes off. <laughs> Interesting. You guys know the story, you who are Bible students. We don't know how long, maybe three weeks, maybe, maybe five. After Peter took his shoes off and had his feet washed, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and walked with his disciples. Prior to that event, Peter was boastful and proud. He was Peter. He was called. He was anointed. He was going to be used more, more so than the average person. Peter would be used so powerfully. Billions of people have been impacted by Peter and his ministry. 
And yet when Jesus restored Peter in John 21, one of my favorite all-time chapters of the Bible, he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter was so broken and so humbled he couldn't even answer. He said, I don't know. I boasted at one point that I would never leave you and that these other guys would, but I, I've seen the soul issue. I don't even know what's going on. And Jesus said, thank you for humbling yourself. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Let's go. You're now in a position I can use you through the brokenness, through the defeat. It's a joke. Being defeated. Anyway, shoes. Sorry, sorry. Now I can use you. And maybe you're going through a season right now where the Lord says, hey, before we go do Jericho, it's it's a big deal. It's on the agenda. We're going to take care of it. But I want to deal with some other things. Your heart. I want you to be more impressed with me. I want you to see me. Because what God's about to give to Joshua is the battle plan. He's about to give him instruction moving forward. And without that deep humility and that deep trust and this deep meeting with the Lord, the battle plan moving forward would seem silly and foolish and preposterous. Because it is. But when the Lord has dealt with your heart, you're a changed individual from the floor to the core. And God does this for Joshua. Now, again, just a few People out there would argue that this isn't the Lord. They would say it was an angel, Michael the archangel, or Gabriel, or something like that. But when Joshua worshipped, the angel received it. Throughout the scriptures, when angels are worshipped, which happens all the time, the angel always says, stop it. Don't worship me. I'm just an angel. Knock it off. But this guy, Jesus, received the worship and gave the instruction. So too, what is the Lord looking for from you? He's looking for your worship. And if you're worshiping the Lord, you're going to be just fine. Listen, if you ceased worshiping the Lord, and now you're into other things, not bad things, other things, professionalism, organization, production, being the best you you can possibly be, let me warn you. The Lord rebuked the church at Ephesus. He said, man, you guys are doing great. Got your hoodies all stocked. Got your tree decorated got some land, got ministries. All you guys do stuff all week long, so cool. And he had to rebuke that church. And he said, there's one thing I have against you. You've left your first love. You don't worship me the same as you did when we met. There was a sweet time when we met. Remember that? Oh, so sweet. And then there was the warning. And Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, to, to the New Testament church that was bearing fruit, that was successful, organized, and powerful, They had ministries and missions. He said, if you do not repent, I will take my lamp from among you. If you do not repent. It was an opportunity and an option to to come closer to the Lord. To go deeper with the Lord. To be more available to the Lord. See, your problem right now is not your Jericho. Your problem right now is not your ministry or your mission or the people around you. Your main, your only, your sole problem is your intimacy with the Lord. If you seek first the kingdom of heaven and seek to live righteously, he will give you all things necessary for your life. Take no thought for the future. Don't worry about it. You will be kept in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. I believe this is a timely word for Joshua, a timely word for our church, a timely word for some people here today. Look up. Look up to Joshua, your Jesus. Look at what he says. We're not going to get through chapter six, I just realized. (laughs) 
at least not today. I want you to see this because you need to hear this. Immediately, Joshua's met with Jesus Christ. He's humbled, he's ministered too. And then a timely word comes to Joshua on the eve of battle. Let's read two verses. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. Stop right there, eyes up here. Jericho and Joshua and Jesus are having a conversation. And Jesus points out to Jericho and says, hey, look at it. And Joshua looks up and he says, yeah, looks impenetrable. It's all shut up. None go in, none come out. There's a king and mighty man of valor. And the Lord says, I know. Isn't that awesome? Oh, so good. And Joshua in his heart's like, that's not good at all. And here's the deal and here's the principle. The Lord declares to you and to me those things that are not as if they already are. The book of Romans tells us this. Our God sees what you do not see and declares that which is not as if it already is. He says to Joshua, look, Jericho and the king and the mighty men of valor, I've given them to you. Joshua looks over and says, I don't know if I see it that way. Look, shut up. No one's going in, no one's going out. Last time I checked, nobody surrendered except Rahab and her family. These guys don't want to come out. And yet the Lord says to you, oh yeah, I've dealt with the flesh. I've filled you with my spirit. I've humbled you. You're now more impressed with me than ever before. And the foes, the enemies, the battles in front of you, I got it. I got it. Taken care of. What's your job? You got to trust him. Trust him. He'll give you the steps. He'll give you the timely word. He'll tell Joshua what the marching orders are. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And he tells him what to do, which if you know the story, it is a horrible plan. Joshua, get your guys, get your guys. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to march around the city once, okay? And we're going to let the guys with swords go first, then the Ark of the Covenant go next, then the priests with horns, and then the guys with swords behind. You're going to walk around one time, and that's all we're going to do today. Oh, and by the way, while we do it, don't say nothing. Keep your lips zipped. Why would he say this, by the way? Because when you, if you're like me, talk during times of difficulty, you say stupid stuff. You murmur, you complain, you discern. Well, if they would have done it this way, they would have done it that way. And so the Lord in his strategy for Joshua says, shut up. Might be a prophetic word for some of you. <laughs> I'm not messing with you. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Because we murmur, we complain, we, we commentate. And the Lord says, why don't you just obey why don't you just draw near to me? Why don't you trust me? Well, they, if they, I, nope. You think Joshua got some complaints that day when he told his guys, all right, here's the plan. Hey, Joshua, that's a dumb plan. Easy. It's easy to pick on leadership. It's easy to pick on the people around you. You don't know what's going on. And so the, the Lord, in his wisdom, says, just, 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 don't say nothing. Trust me. Trust me. And he gives him this timely word. And can I say this right now? God does this throughout his relationships with his sons and daughters. He calls you. He says, hey, I see what you don't see. And I'm gonna call what 
is that is not yet already. I want you to trust me. Just keep marching. Keep worshiping. I couldn't do it. Lost my voice. The horns, you know. Keep trusting me. Because right now you look at the situation in front of you, you don't have the answers. Well, how's this going to, well, Lord, I, they're never going to apologize. They're never going to repent. Lord, this is a problem. It's a chemical imbalance. Lord, this is an addiction, a family addiction that we've passed down for years. Lord, this is a systemic issue. Lord, there's a king, there's valiant men. And Lord, there's a wall. This is bad news. And Lord says, oh, I have given it to you. You who are believers need very much so right now to hold on to God's word during these days. Trust him. Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna suffer tribulation with a smile on his face, but be of good cheer. I'll overcome the world. That's not easy, especially when you're suffering. Last week, I had the privilege of driving to Walport, following my maps, and I went to Ashley and Mike's house. I'd never met them. I knocked on the door, and I walked in, and I met Ashley and Mike. And Mike was sitting on the couch and was battling cancer. And they asked for me to come visit them. And as I was visiting with them for a couple hours, anointed them with oil, prayed for them. Mike was battling. And I said, Mike, what you need to do, what you get to do, what you must do, is to trust the Lord. That's all you have to do, is trust the Lord. Keep fighting. They're on their way to get an infusion at the time. And keep doing what you have to do. You have to get to, you must trust the Lord. Because he's spoken over these things. He's with you in these things. Mike died a couple days ago. And he's in heaven now. And Ashley now is the same challenge in front of her. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage me? Trust the Lord. The world right now is looking for a scapegoat, looking for someone to blame, somebody to cancel, somebody to quit on, somebody to crucify. Everyone's out for blood. Who done it? What's going on? Hey, let's be peacemakers and let's trust the Lord. Let him circumcise your heart. And let me close with this statement. If you're not more impressed with Jesus than you are with your ministry, your mission, your Jericho, okay? You're bound to go around the city one more time. You're just gonna have to take another, another walk. We'll see that. They, they march for six days. And sometimes in your life, it feels like we're just walking in circles. And it feels like I've been here before. Maybe. Why is it, why am I, I feel like, I feel, feel like I've had this conflict before. Maybe. Because your eyes are not up on Jesus. And as you look to Jesus, God will fight your battles. Would you close your eyes with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much and we need you so much. And we worship you, we honor you. Lord, every single person in this room right now and watching online is fighting a battle of sorts right now. And there are battles to come. There's not just one, not just six, there's a bunch. And so in Jesus' name, would you keep our heart swords soft towards you? Would you keep our minds engaged on you? Would you forgive us ours? And maybe you're here this morning and you are a spirit-filled, born-again Christian but you're so aware of your Jerichos, you're so aware of your problems that you failed to be in awe of Jesus. It happens. It's so easy to do. And if that's you and you would say, Lord, I just wanna repent and I wanna be in more awe of Jesus than ever before, would you just humble yourself and raise up your hand right now and say, Lord, wash my feet. Wash my feet. Lord, humble my, I humble myself before you. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to be more, Lord, like you, more spirit-filled, more available, Lord, my hands are up too. Forgive me for looking down, for looking around, for getting weird. Help me to be focused on you, Jesus. 
Fill us even now with your Holy Spirit. Fight our battles. You can put your hands down. Lord, there are battles to fight. And I pray in Jesus' name that your word, Lord, that has been given to us would be that timely word that speaks to us in our singleness, in our widowness, Lord, in our marriages and in our parenting, our ministries, our public and private lives. May your word, Lord, be like it was to Joshua. Hey, see, I've given it to you. And may we trust you, Lord, for our marching orders. We love you so much. We honor you, Lord. Would you bless the rest of the afternoon? Bless all the things happening this week, Lord, the Sunday school party on, on Sun, uh, Saturday, Lord, and the, the outreach event, Lord, to the laundromat on Thursday. And Lord, all the people that are gonna consider giving, Lord, that match donation, Lord. And I pray, I thank God for the match donation. But Lord, we, we pray that you would match it, that you would match it miraculously. In Jesus' name, Lord, may it be you. Lord, you've got to provide, and we trust you to do that. So take everything we give you, multiply it, Lord, for your glory and for our good. We love you so much. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. I think we finished chapter five. I think we did finish chapter five. I wanted to finish chapter six. I had a, uh, next week, next week we'll get there. Hey, I love you guys very much. Grab an angel tag if you would. Grab a Salvation Army tag if you could. Bring that back. The instructions are on there. Bring some quarters to the office this week. I love you guys. I appreciate you. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me and my family as well. We love you so much. God bless you. You are dismissed. <laughs>